0: not a beautiful, beautiful song. When we come today, of course, to the cross, and we come recognizing what Jesus Christ has done, we come in great awareness that God is, of course, working within us to do that and to accomplish that. I would ask that you take your Bibles today, turn to Luke chapter 22. We're going to start with the 14th verse, as the lectionary, of course, has been allowing us to Hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ through the eyes of the physician. And we're going to, of course, as this is the last uh, Sunday of Lent and the first Sunday of Holy Week, it's the transition moment in the year in which we go from recognizing what brokenness we experience in this life and what sin often does to us, to our nation, to our world, and recognizing that God did not leave us in that place, that he sent his only begotten son, and that Jesus was willing to come, and that God himself brought the solution to humanity and to you and to me. It's one of the most profound moments when we recognize that this this uh, greatest sorrow is connected with the greatest love uh, that God does. The lectionary, of course, took us to that uh, prayer of David, uh, a prayer that in fact is one of the most uh, uh, deeply felt within the Psalms. It's a song that we sing together, we pray together, we live together. And there's a phrase there that I want to focus on as we think about what God has done. David says, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. Now, think of that. This is the king. He should have had the greatest of all that the world has to offer. Power, opulence. He's a slayer of Goliath. Great warrior. Great in battle. Father of Solomon. Solomon the wise. Establishment of the temple. And yet he says, My life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. It's, of course, a part of a a larger prayer, as we read earlier. David prays, Be gracious to me, O God, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity. My bones waste away. As you probably are aware, we are in an age when anxiety and depression are having a tremendous increase, especially within the developed nations and especially within our children and our older men. As this chart shows, we Americans are more likely to die from suicide according to the disease center, than we are from car accidents or diabetes or heart disease. And as this map shows, the United States is only behind India in the number of people experiencing a major depressive episode during their lifetime. It's also significant that sorrows and sighs are all throughout the first world As contrasted with the developing world. As the stats show, the United States, France, Canada, Australia, Europe, Sweden, Norway are all struggling. And it seems that as India has now entered the first world, she also is struggling. Now, it is true, of course, as the statisticians point out, that the ability to diagnose such episodes, because we have psychiatrists and antidepressants and treatments that are available to us in the first world, reveals some of that. But just comparing us to us, from 1950 till today, we have seen eight times more children struggling with anxiety. Eight times more children struggling with anxiety and depression than we did just 60 years ago. It's alarming to us. It's alarming to parents, to educators, to psychologists, to pastors. Our children increasingly live under what we're calling external pressure to perform and succeed. That is debilitating them. They echo, of course, the parents' anxieties and the parents' pressures and sorrows and sighs. But, of course, David wrote the psalm that we just read 3,000 years ago. He didn't write it from the first world or modern American life. The struggles that he experienced were related, of course, to his choices and the choices of others and the oppressive experiences that he had upon his life. These choices and pressures impacted not only him but his children. If you study the life of David and the children uh, that lived within his home, what happened to them because of his behaviors and the depressive nature of that place. Depression is powerfully passed on. It's passed on generation to generation and it seems to echo in kind of an an expanding way rather than a decreasing way as we walk through these these generations. Now, we could go on into how David's iniquity, how his sin took away his strength and caused his bones to waste away. We've all studied that, but we're at the end of Lent. We're not going to focus on that. The lectionary takes us instead to this solution. okay. That's the reality. There are sorrows and there are sighs. Every one of us experience them. There's no human being that's not a part of the human condition. And it's uneven. Life is unfair. But many experience things in, in ways that are just overwhelming. But today is the beginning of the hope. It's the beginning of Holy Week. It's the beginning of recognizing that this world and all of its sorrows were nailed to the cross and man of sorrows overcame, resurrected, gives power and life that's beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And that great gift of God to us is available to each of us. It's not something that, that only the privileged few or the elite or the wealthy or the The smart or the the capable, it's every one of us in all of our sorrows and sighs are welcomed at the foot of the cross to God's wonderful good news. And so today we transition from the Psalm of David to the sacrament of Jesus Christ. As he celebrates that last Passover meal, he begins the first Eucharistic meal. This translation from celebrating the passing over of death because of the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of the people is now celebrated as the defeat of death as the blood is put on the door of our hearts and we are able to, in fact, change the world. We desire, as a human race and as individuals, not the desire that death will just pass over us for another minute, or another month, or another day, or another year. We desire that death itself would be defeated, and that we will live forever when that moment of transition comes. We desire life because life is what pulses through us in every moment of our dreams and every hope that we share. In our backyard, Cheryl and I have a wonderful symbol of that life, of the New Testament, the new testimony, the new agreement between us and God. Cheryl's father, over 20 years ago, planted Easter lilies in our backyard. We tried to dig them up and put in palms, which we did. We put in palms all around it, but they would not give way to death. It's been six years since Willis and Loretta died. Every year, Easter proclaims proudly in their dual voices that life comes and life is ours. Easter is here. We know that their lives have surpassed death just as we know that our lives will surpass death. That it goes on long, be- long after that moment when the final temporal, temporary breath is taken, and where we live in this wonderful power of God, where death is defeated and we rise again, where resurrection is the reality, not death. It is fitting that on this Palm Sunday as we begin Holy Week, that everyone throughout the world celebrates the Eucharist, the sacrament. It's the week that we give thanksgiving, for that's what the Greek word Eucharistoi means which we then say the Eucharist is to celebrate. We give thanks to God for what he has done in Jesus Christ. And we give thanks for the great forgiveness and new life that comes where our brokenness is healed and the lifeblood of Jesus Christ becomes part of us. So we want to return to that moment now, long ago. It's the actual moment of transition as we go from a broken world to a healed and healing world. And we go to that upper room. Uh, We've uh, studied it. We know what happens there. But it's in that place at the end of the evening before they go to the the Garden of Gethsemane and to the final arrest and the crucifixion that will take place by 9 o'clock the next morning, about 12 hours after he says these words. We have this Amazing institution of the Lord's Supper. So, Luke chapter 22, we'll start with verse 14. Now, when the hour came, when the time is right, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment. In the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And there are four cups of the Seder divided among. Then he took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way after the supper, the final cup, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Let us pray. Father, as we Receive the tremendous gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as you commune with us, we ask that we might experience in words and ways that are beyond any cognitive understanding the reality of forgiveness, of new life, of empowerment, of solution to the brokenness of our world. Help each one of us. We're here today because we want to know you, to know life, and to live life fully. And so we would ask that you would commune with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This Thursday, as I said, we'll celebrate the Messianic Passover. The Eucharist itself is birthed in that moment, just as we've just seen. It's founded upon the salvation of the Jewish people set free from the slavery of Egypt. As we saw a few weeks ago, that journey of life is a journey to ultimate fulfillment. It's the journey that each one of us take. Today we celebrate the sacrament as the final form of of that wonderful salvation. It was first celebrated probably 2,000 years ago. Best scholarship says in 14 years it will be exactly 2,000 years from that event. And so we want to prepare. First, we want to accept the invitation to come to the table. All are invited without any exception. The disciples that night, long ago, could have said, I'm not going to go to the upper room. I'm going to do something else. The same is true for you and for me. We accept the invitation or we do not. Second, we want to receive the bread and the cup as the wonderful fulfillment of the gift of God's healing and his life. As I said, the brokenness is healed by the broken bread. The life is given by the lifeblood of the wine. It's a healing and a beginning. It's setting aside all that is sorrow and sighing and leading to all that is life and grace. Third, we want to recognize that in the acceptance of this cup that we will... Rise in new life that we will rise in the power of Jesus Christ life is something we experience now in its temporary form but it's so much more than this humans have known that down through the centuries in all the cultures they've recognized that death cannot be the end there's more to us than this and Jesus Christ has come to express and explain what that more is And so we receive that wonderful healing life that comes from God. And it, of course, changes us so that we become change agents in the world. I love the way Oswald Chambers Chambers says it. Paul focuses Jesus Christ's idea of a New Testament saint in his life, not one who proclaims the gospel merely, but one who becomes broken bread and poured out wine in the hands of Jesus Christ for others. The communion of the saints. Everyone who wants to accept this invitation is welcome to participate with us. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church. This isn't in any form a religious act. It is a spiritual communion with God. And so we invite all of you to come forward and to participate in this sacrament with us.